This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 111 The Vanishing of Emanuela Orlandi In the bustling streets of Rome, a city steeped in history and secrets, a haunting disappearance captivated the world. Emanuela Orlandi, a high-spirited 15-year-old girl with a promising future, vanished without a trace on a balmy summer day in 1983. The mystery surrounding her disappearance quickly became a labyrinth of intrigue, conspiracy, and unanswered questions that have endured for decades. Born into an ordinary family, living within the hallowed walls of Vatican City, Emanuela was far from an average teenager. Her father, Ercole Orlandi, served as a chief clerk at the prefecture of the papal household. He held this position through the appointment of three popes. Unsurprisingly, his position concealed an intriguing connection to the heart of the Vatican a factor that would later fuel speculation surrounding her disappearance. On that fateful day, June 22nd, Emanuela had just finished her music lesson in the heart of the city. It was a seemingly unremarkable day, with tourists flocking to marvel at the ancient architecture, blissfully unaware that the tranquility of the Eternal City would soon be shattered. Waiting for a bus near Piazza San Apollonia, Emanuela was seen chatting with friends, her laughter echoing through the Roman streets. (laughs) As the sun began its descent behind the city's iconic landmarks, Emanuela's friends departed one by one, leaving her alone at the bus stop. They had no idea that it would be the last time they would see her radiant smile or hear her infectious laughter. The bus arrived, but Emanuela was nowhere to be found. A witness claimed that she walked away from the bus stop, north, along the sidewalk, and just like that, she was gone, as if swallowed by the city's shadows. The news of Emanuela's disappearance quickly spread throughout the city, and Rome suddenly found itself gripped by fear and uncertainty. The Vatican, a spiritual citadel known for its opulent grandeur and hallowed halls, found itself ensnared in a torrent of doubt and suspicion. The initial hours of the investigation were marked by confusion, as different authorities stumbled over jurisdictional boundaries and responsibilities. After an initially apathetic response, the Italian police, in light of a rousing address by Pope John Paul II, 
and in conjunction with the Vatican City authorities, launched a massive search operation, combing through every nook and cranny of the ancient city. Yet the more they delved into the enigma, the more cryptic it became. In the days that followed, a series of cryptic phone calls and letters began arriving at the Orlandi family residence, their sinister contents adding to the already murky waters of the investigation. The letters claimed to hold clues of Emanuela's whereabouts, but they offered nothing more than cryptic riddles and obscure messages. Each letter was signed with a curious emblem, an emblem that would haunt investigators for years to come, a depiction of an angelic face with a menacing serpent entwined around it. As the case gained international attention, theories swirled. Some believed that Emanuela had fallen victim to a kidnapper's sinister plot, motivated by the lure of a hefty ransom due to her father's ties to the Vatican. The Vatican's silence on the matter added fuel to the fire, leaving many to speculate whether powerful figures inside the Holy See were involved, or worse yet, covering up her disappearance. The labyrinthine nature of the investigation led some to theorize that Emanuela might have been taken to pressure the Vatican into revealing long-hidden secrets or clandestine operations. The Vatican Bank scandal of the early 1980s only served to bolster these speculations, as it exposed financial corruption and shady dealings within the Vatican's inner sanctum. Yet, as the investigation continued, the narrative seemed to shift. Some claimed that Emanuela had become a victim of the dark underbelly of Rome, where organized crime lurked in the shadows, manipulating events from the safety of political darkness. Theorists suggested that she may have witnessed a crime, or been inadvertently entangled in a dangerous web of criminal activity. As the investigation into Emanuela Orlandi's disappearance delved deeper into the dark corners of Rome, an even more sinister theory emerged, one that sent shivers down the spines of investigators and civilians alike. Some believed that Emanuela's disappearance was intricately linked to the attempted assassination of Pope John Paul II two years prior. The Turkish gunman, Mehmet Ali Aga, had fired four shots at the Pope in St. Peter's Square on May 13, 1981. Miraculously, the Pope survived, but the motivations behind the assassination attempt remained unknown. The web of intrigue spun wider as rumors circulated about a possible connection between Aga's crimes and Emanuela's vanishing. Spectators contended that the disappearance of the young Vatican citizen might have been an attempt to silence a potential witness to the Pope's assassination plot. Theorists wove a chilling narrative that painted Emanuela as an unwitting observer of events that she was never meant to see. The silence of the Vatican authorities, who were known for their tight-lipped approach to scandal and controversy, continued to add credence to these theories. Critics argued that the Holy See's reluctance to cooperate fully with investigators raised suspicions and suggested a cover-up of the highest order. But the Vatican was not the only entity implicated in the sinister plot. As the years passed, new leads emerged, pointing fingers at various Italian secret societies and clandestine organizations. Conspiracy theories suggested that the Italian government's intelligence agencies notorious for their cloak-and-dagger operations, 
might have played a role in Emanuela's disappearance. Theories tying the Secret Service to the case alleged that they sought to use Emanuela as a bargaining chip against the Vatican, a tool to pry open the tightly guarded secrets of the upper levels of the Vatican government. In this narrative, the young girl became a pawn in a high-stakes game of espionage and power, her fate tied to the intrigue of international politics. As speculation ran rampant, the investigation itself was not without its controversies. Allegations of a cover-up within the Italian law enforcement ranks began to surface. Critics pointed to evidence that had been overlooked or mishandled, accusing the authorities of incompetence or negligence. One of the most confounding aspects of the case was the cryptic letters sent to the Orlandi family. The haunting symbols and mysterious messages became an integral part of the enigma surrounding them. Some experts believed that the letters might hold the key to unlocking the truth, but their coded nature defied deciphering. Intriguingly, the emblem used in the letters bore a resemblance to symbols used by secret societies throughout history. The intertwined angelic face and serpent evoked echoes of ancient religious cults and mystical brotherhoods. It was as if someone with esoteric knowledge was orchestrating this entire affair, pulling the strings from the shadows. But over the years, the case took numerous twists and turns. Yet each lead proved elusive, and each revelation only seemed to deepen the mystery. Emanuela's parents, Ercole and Maria, tirelessly sought the truth. Their desperate pleas for answers echoing through the halls of power and justice. Their quest inspired people around the globe and raised awareness of the epidemic of missing children, who had seemingly fallen through the cracks of bureaucracy. The disappearance of Emanuela Orlandi captured the hearts and minds of people worldwide, turning the young girl into a symbol of lost innocence and injustice that stands to this day. Vigils, marches, and prayer gatherings became a regular occurrence, each event reinvigorating the public's demand for answers. For nearly four decades, the mystery of Emanuela's disappearance has continued to haunt Rome a city where history and secrets entwine like ivy on the ancient ruins. The enigma of her vanishing has defied the passage of time, leaving the world to wonder what dark truths lie buried beneath the surface of the eternal city. And as we delve deeper into the labyrinth of conspiracies and cover-ups, the unanswered questions continued to gnaw at the collective conscience. What really happened to Emanuela Orlandi on that warm summer day in 1983? Who was behind the cryptic letters and haunting symbols that served as eerie omens of her fate? And most importantly, will the truth ever come to light? As the investigation into the disappearance continued, the halls of the Vatican came under intense scrutiny. Whispers of dark secrets, clandestine dealings, and hidden truths echoed through the corridors of power, fueling and growing suspicion that the Holy See might hold the key to unlocking the mystery. Critics argued that the Vatican's silence and lack of full cooperation with the authorities were damning signs of complicity. Speculations ran rampant, suggesting that powerful figures within the Vatican might be involved in Emanuela's disappearance, or more likely, given their track record, orchestrated an elaborate cover-up to shield the guilty from justice. 
One theory that captivated investigators and armchair sleuths alike involved the alleged existence of a shadowy cabal within the Vatican, a faction that operated outside the boundaries of conventional morality. This so-called black cabal was rumored to wield immense influence, capable of manipulating events and vanishing perceived threats without a trace. Speculators pointed to historical precedents to support their claims, drawing parallels to past instances where the Vatican's covert actions had intersected with world events. From the enigmatic role of the Vatican during World War II to its involvement in Cold War intrigue, the Vatican's shadowy reputation added weight to the notion that Emanuela's disappearance might be connected to a larger, more sinister set of machinations. A prominent figure in the unfolding drama was Monsignor Paul Marcinkus, an American prelate who served as the head of the Vatican Bank during the tumultuous era of the 1980s. Marcinkus had been a key player in the Vatican Bank scandal. Some believed that he held the answers to Emanuela's vanishing, but others were convinced that he was a mere pawn in a larger game. Theorists postulated that Emanuela's disappearance might have been a direct result of her father's work with the Vatican. As a low-ranking Vatican employee, many assumed that Ercole Orlandi was an unlikely candidate to possess information that could threaten the highest echelons of power. However, some argued that even the most inconspicuous details could have far-reaching consequences. The mysterious letters sent to the Orlandi family added a surreal layer to the enigma. Experts in cryptology and ancient languages struggled to decipher the encrypted messages but each attempt seemed to lead further into darkness. The use of occult symbolism fueled theories of esoteric organizations with an interest in manipulating events from the shadows. Some theorists even suggested that the letters were red herrings, cleverly crafted diversions intended to confuse investigators and throw them off the trail. If that were the case, then who had the means and motive to construct such elaborate ruses? The finger of suspicion pointed at the Vatican itself, where the art of secrecy and misdirection had been honed for centuries. In the midst of this maelstrom of intrigue, Emanuela's family continued its relentless pursuit of the truth. But as time marched on, hope began to wane. False leads and dead ends had sapped the investigation of momentum, and the once vibrant girl had become a specter of mystery. The case had taken on a life of its own, woven into the tapestry of Rome's history, forever etched into the city's collective memory. And as the decades passed, new generations picked up the mantle of the investigation, driven by a thirst for closure and a desire to unearth the truth. The case of Emanuela Orlandi remains an enduring mystery, defying resolution even as time's relentless march takes its toll on those left behind. And in the heart of Rome, where history and secrets intertwine, the enigma of Emanuela Orlandi's vanishing endures. An unsolved mystery that will forever haunt the eternal city and the world beyond. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts. I am Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome to you. Another week. Another missing teenager. <laughs> Another missing teenager. 
Man. Yeah. You know, I'm going to say, I'm just going to come out and say it. Go for it. I think it's an inside job. You think so? Yep. Like at the highest order? Just like religion. Okay. <laughs> Unpack <laughs> that for a moment, if you will. <clears throat> it was all an inside <laughs> job. Oh, okay. No, uh, gotcha. yeah, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do actually have, I have a couple theories of my own, you know, just, uh, couple things that i think we'll we'll talk about in in passing as we go through but like it's hard not to not to think i mean with all the with all the kind of theories and stuff around it to not think that there was somehow some inside influence yeah yeah and i will say crazy but i mean honestly going into this story i will admit that i came into it biased and i think it's really hard not to in 2023 recognize the like absolute horrendous fuckery that has gone on in the Catholic church without a doubt. Right. Um, so I mean, I sort of just immediately relate, especially like the high, the like upper levels of the Catholic church. I immediately relate that to like skullduggery to like, yeah, like keeping secrets and mm-hmm. pretending bad shit isn't going on and shifting things around to keep criminals and monsters out of the public's view. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they're kind of known for that these days. For sure. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, and the fact like all these letters, all these like cryptic messages and, and things like that, like for that to be, you know, essentially coming from the inside would make a whole lot of sense. Sure. You know, trying to throw off pretty much everybody, yeah, and never. It almost you know deters away from that being a possibility, right? Sure. Like yeah, but that I mean, just makes it harder to not like not immediately jump on that bandwagon and be like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's sense. it's it's really it's really hard to deny the fact that the Vatican is good at secrets. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're very good at it. Um, but there, dude, we have so much. Oh, I am absolutely sure. Um, I have like so many details that are fucking crazy. All right. Crazy stuff that went on, dude. Um, I got like to acknowledge one of my, one of my main sources. Okay. Um, her, Emanuela's older brother, his name's Pietro. Um, he released a, like a, an hour-long documentary on his like search to find answers, right? Yeah, because he's been basically he's been spearheading the civilian attempt to figure out what the fuck happened for decades. For uh, like this is what forty years? years that she's been missing over yeah. forty years. Yeah, yep. And he okay. was like, sh- she was fifteen, and he was like in his early twenties when when she disappeared. So he's basically spent his entire adult life trying to figure out what happened. Right. Uh, yeah. So Jeez. it's it's really good. It's called Vatican Secrets Unveiled, The Kidnapping of a Young Girl. Um, All right. It's free on YouTube. But it's like super high quality. It's really well made. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to be willing to read um, subtitles and listen to Italian for an hour. Okay. You know, but it's it's brilliant. I like subtitles. It's really well done. Yeah. Um so 
first off, Emanuela was one of five kids. All right, so she had three sisters and a br- and the older brother. Right. Um, and the dad, who is a a big part of this, um, Ercoli was his name. He was in a lot of sources. They talk about him being sort of a low level employee at the Vatican, but in all actuality, he like he oversaw all of the Pope's private meetings. Okay. Like he he's the one who scheduled them and like basically managed the Pope's calendar for him. So he was talking to the Pope every day. Right. Basically just you know a personal I mean? assistant. Essentially. Yeah. Which is not a low level position. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I mean, especially not to the Pope, yeah. Exactly. He's the fucking head of the religion. I mean, he's like <clears throat> You don't get a people don't get a lot of private audiences with the Pope. It's not, and we'll see like John Paul II, who is the Pope during during this. Um, he kind of broke a lot of precedences during this whole thing. He did a lot of things that people were like, "Oh shit!" Hmm. Like the Pope doesn't do that. Like he made several public addresses, which the Pope never gave addresses about like citizen issue, like crimes you know what right. i mean like it was odd for him to have taken such an interest <laughs> in it publicly um yeah but yeah the dad's job is a big part of this i think i i, I think it's a big part of it um but the kids like grew up around the pope basically like it was normal for them to just like encounter him you know what i mean imagine is, that life that'd be weird yeah, it's weird. What'd you do today? Well, hang out with uh, old JP. <laughs> right? JP2, baby. <laughs> um, no, but they, like, they didn't they didn't hang out with him a lot, but they, like, he was around. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, they were in his presence re- on a regular basis. Because um, there is a moment where he, the Pope actually comes to their home on Christmas Eve and sees them after the disappearance. And, like, sort of gives them an update. And that's crazy. Like, right. the Pope does not visit people at home. <laughs> he just doesn't. People come to him. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. But John Paul II had some, like, some things right off. Like, he, that were made him different, that set him aside, okay. for, or set him apart from other Popes. Like, he he had this thing about, like, trying to be a little closer with the families that actually were actual Vatican citizens. Because that, that's super rare. Like, it's the the Vatican is considered like the the smallest state in the world, right? Right, like it only has like four hundred and forty citizens. That's it, which is crazy. Yeah. So he he was really this Pope John Paul II. He was really he was all about like we should this should be more of like a connected family in the city because it's so small. I mean, you know yeah, what I mean? Which makes sense. Yeah. But the dad was the dad did the same job for, um, for Paul the sixth, John Paul the first, and John Paul the second. He was there for three separate popes. So he like, it's sort of it's sort of like having like a secretary of defense, who, you know, works through multiple, not a secretary of defense like a um, like the the generals that make up the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yeah, in our government. Yeah, they go regardless they stay on regardless of 
you know, which party wins or whatever. Mm. They they work through multiple presidents. Um, so it sort of reminded me of that. Cause, so he's like more more Vatican than even the Pope. You know what I mean? Like he's like he outlasted that's, multiple popes. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. I mean, this guy's. I mean, he's obviously pretty deep into all this, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really been downplayed in a lot of the coverage. And I don't. I'm not sure why. Because mm-hmm. as we like explore some of the some of the theories that involve trying to get things out of the Vatican and using this guy's daughter as leverage. A lot of people dismiss those going like, oh, no, he was just a a clerk. You know what I no, mean? Like, I mean? But no, he was a staple. He was like a, right. a Vatican mainstay. Like, I mean, just yeah. how close they were to JP, too. Exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. Like that. What better person to get involved with, you know, than to some somebody like that? That's I mean. Always yep. there in passing or somewhere, some form, right? Yep. Someone who's also lower profile than the Pope, but is just as present. You know what right. I mean? Like, he's there for everything, but people aren't, you know, freaking out because he's walking down the street. Yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, I just want, that should definitely be recognized, that his position did matter. It was it was a big deal. Um, so, two years before she disappeared we have the assassination attempt right Mm -hmm. where um aliaga he the pope was out in his fucking pope mobile like waving at people and this dude shot him four times yeah like the pope took four bullets and i mean it's a tough job being being a pope it is that's why after this they built the bulletproof pope mobile right yeah yeah i mean which is Took four shots, survived, mm-hmm. and then that's where a lot of people think that this is tied, or her disappearance is tied to this, right? Yeah, well, there's a thing that happened um, that we'll get to, for okay. sure. I want to, like, keep the time, because the timeline is pretty complicated. Yeah. Um, and it jumps back and forth. But, like, there are some reasons, some real reasons why people thought that for a long time. Um, so, the day she disappeared... We'll get to the day she disappeared. She has an argument with her older brother, Pietro, because she wants him to give her a ride to her music lesson. And he decided he wanted to hang out with his girlfriend instead. And um, so she got pissed off and left the house. She ends up going on her own. She calls later that day and talks to her younger sister, Frederica. And she tells her that a guy stopped her in the street and offered her a job for the day, passing out Avon pamphlets. This is very 1983. Avon in the Vatican? Yeah. Who would have thought? For sure. (laughs) Right? But the weird thing is he offered her $270 for a day's work. Damn. Yeah. Which is like, that's insane. Yeah. And that's like as much as an adult was making a week back then, you know? Um, So that's a weird thing that stuck out. A lot of people, um, a lot of people connect that that's like one of the early things because she told her classmates um because after school she's at the bus stop and she tells one of her classmates that um she has a meeting with this guy to get the pamphlets and all that and that's the reason she gives for not getting on the bus Mm. with her friends and she goes off walking 
ostensibly to meet this guy and she's never seen again. Yeah. Right. So if someone took her, that definitely could have been the like initial ruse to get her alone. Right. I mean, and she's only 15. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I I would say like, you know, obviously I wouldn't think anybody's going to approach you and offer you that much money to hand out Avon pamphlets. That's a lot, you know, but she is 15. So was 15, you know, so not not the smartest in that case at that you know at that time for sure gonna be a bit Pretty more na- naive yeah 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 that's definitely some naivety showing because mm. um, honestly I'm a 36 year old man and if I was out walking and someone said I'll give you 270 dollars to pass out these pamphlets today I'd be like oh shit I'm on it <laughs> I'd be like, like you give me the money first and then yeah, exactly. I will give you the gentleman's handshake and I promise to pass out every one of these yeah. But like today in 2023, that's a lot of money to pass I mean, out yeah. pamphlets for an afternoon. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, just yeah. to pass out pamphlets, like yeah, that's a lot Easy. of money just to do that job. Yeah, for sure. So imagine in the 80s and being a, a high school girl, like she probably thought she hit the uh, hit a gold mine. I mean, yeah, yeah, that'd be stellar. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, pretty naive, right? Because the guy's obviously he wasn't like, and here's the pamphlets. He's like, we have to meet later. Come alone. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it was, that she ends up going to meet this guy on her own after school. See, at least the thing in in 2023, when we meet people, whether it's to like, you know, sell thing like we've talked about, like you know, selling oh, yeah. something on like some type of marketplace or something like that. Most people now will bring. A second party. Oh, yeah. Just in case, because you never know what's going to go down. Yep. You know, like, but I'm sure she wasn't thinking that. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, I mean, she would have been smarter to think that, but, yeah, I doubt that was, that was probably the the furthest from her mind at that point. She's probably like, oh, I'm going to make some sweet money. I'm not going to let anybody else on this, right? Right. Yeah. No, my my wife has a friend, because she does a lot of those, like, Facebook marketplace buying stuff and all that. But she has a friend who I'm pretty sure the only time they ever hang out is whenever one of them is going to go pick something up, they go together. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty much the only time that, but it's just like their go to buddies for each other to not have to go do that stuff alone. Yeah. So, yeah, she definitely should have brought someone with her. Also, you want to do that stuff in a public place. You don't want to like meet up in a dark (laughs) alley or something, you know? Meet me where the sun doesn't shine. (laughs) Yeah furthest away from anyone yeah. else as possible and i promise you know that, i will give you money you know that dark alley off jesus boulevard i'm just guessing at street names in the vatican <laughs> jesus boulevard christ avenue you know where the two yeah. meet yeah exactly <laughs> you know the intersection of jesus and christ <laughs> just past uh past rapture bend yeah yeah uh <sighs> <laughs> ah, yep. Revelations Parkway. Um, yeah. So she she just doesn't she doesn't show up that night. And the father and the older children they they spend the entire night driving around looking for her. Well, as they should. Yeah, she's fifteen. The rest years of the old. family, the rest of the family is up praying all night. So this is, I mean, they're one of those families, you know what I mean? Obviously the power of prayer is not, 
I don't know. So we talked about this, the power of prayer. Sure. You know, being yes. being something that I think is, is very is very valuable, very help can, you know, help people get through things. Agreed. But when it comes to being active and actively doing something, actively looking for a person that's missing versus I'm just gonna sit here and pray and hope that somebody brings them home. Sure. Yeah. Like, no. Get your shit yeah. together and be active. Like the <laughs> yeah, power of prayer that. is not going to you know, it's not bring her home. Right. Yeah. I think this was just a situation where the because some of the a couple of the younger siblings were very young. Oh, I mean, I'm sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm the not... mom just stayed home with them, and I think the best she could do is yeah. you know, spend Which, the night that up makes perfect praying. sense. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying like it's like that, like, you know, like I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've I've seen I've seen prayer come up in really weird situations that mm-hmm. seems entirely uncalled for when you could just make that happen yourself. Yeah, you when know? action is needed. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, yep. it's not going to happen unless you do some. You right? Like unless yeah. you are actively doing something. You know, right. instead you're just. Pray that I pray that this happens. I mean, imagine pulling up to like a a homeless guy with a sign on the side of the street in like a you know twenty twenty three Audi. You pull up, and you roll your window down, and he walks over, and you go, "I'll pray for you." Like fuck off, dude! I can't, I can't see people like whether you want to call it panhandling or whatever else. I can't sure. see people out and not same, not want to like give them not something. Give. Yeah, yeah. My wife always gets pissed because I like every time I have money and I pass them, I give them lots of money. I mean, (laughs) yeah, too much. I mean, it it, like it doesn't matter. I mean, they could, you know, you don't know what that person is really going through, whatever else. Like, and I just feel that. Like, I I feel so bad that I can't not do anything. And like, you see all these other people that are just like, if I don't make eye contact, he won't see me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a human being, not a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> if I stay completely still and right. silent. <laughs> no, it's you know, I've been dirt poor. You know, well, what yeah, I know what that's I, like. For sure, I know for what it's sure. like to wonder like how where the next meal might come from. Yeah. So I yeah. It's it's rough. Um so yeah. At sunrise the next morning, um the oldest sister, Natalina, she um makes the initial report by the way italians have fucking beautiful names right there's i mean they really got it down like every name should end in a vowel <laughs> yeah <laughs> natalina emanuela like emmanuel is not a particularly pretty name but you add that a at the end don't worry yeah i got you from now on i will call you jordiana thank you yeah i would appreciate that or jordania which one do you like sure. more? I like Jordania. Jordania. Better. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, unfortunately, I think if we do that to your name, you're going to end up being a gravelly voiced pop star. Who? <laughs> Rihanna. Ah! Okay. <laughs> yeah. For some, That's you. For some reason, I hear Raina. Yeah. And then it just makes you think of Hyena. That's That's fair, too. We can just jump right over to Hyena. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, so the oldest sister makes the police report. Yep. Um, and the initial reaction is, 
a thing we hear in missing persons cases all the fucking time. The cops is, and it's a little bit funnier than usual also because their initial response is she probably went out for pizza and got caught up. I mean, just as we all do. Yeah, all Go out for pizza and never show up the next day. Because we got caught up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the excuse yeah. I always use. Sorry, I went out for pizza. Just, I got caught yeah. up. You just sit down for a pie and suddenly it's two days later. I mean, if you if you use that excuse, nobody's ever going to second guess or ask questions. It's literally, exactly. it's fail safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can see why they but, would ask that. <laughs> this is... It's just the classically like apathetic response or to missing people. That, right. I I hate it. I, it. That always pisses me off. Maybe they went out for pizza and just got held held up. I think if like at gunpoint or right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would make more sense. You got held up. At, right. Yeah. Yeah. They just meant she lost track of time. You're right. Right. Of course. Um, but like, it it always bothers me. I think that if a family. If a spouse, if parents, if a best friend comes to the police and says, this is not normal, they wouldn't do this. You should take their fucking word for it. Like, you don't know that person. They do. You know what I mean? But they deal with it enough every day to... Right, that's the problem. Some, some it becomes generalization. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem. It, oh, it I, bothers I me so much. I agree, it's stupid. Yeah. I hate, like, if someone's adult child goes missing and this happens all the fucking time like 20 year old 21 year old goes missing almost every every case the police respond with like well he's an adult he can go wherever he wants yeah but like if their parent is telling you or their partner is telling you like this is weird this is not normal this is unexpected behavior then treat it like a fucking missing person yeah you know what i mean until you know better agreed so the family says, fuck the cops, and they print thousands of missing posters and, like, plaster them all over the city. Okay. All over the city. They spend the next, like, week and a half doing this. Right. And for for 10 days, the police just completely ignore the case. They do nothing for mm. 10 days. Sounds which around like here we're used to. to me. <laughs> right. Checks in that column are just piling up, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Around here in the U.S., we're used to hearing, like, they have to be missing for 48 hours or right. shit like that. So even then, 10 days seems crazy. But even then, 48 hours can be 48 hours too too late, Yeah, you know? Yep. Absolutely. Which yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. The cops, will, the cops will make people wait two days, and then when they find the fucking body, they find out it's been, the person's been dead for a day. And it's like, oh, weird. It's almost like if we had gone looking for them when we first fucking came to you, we might have had a chance, you know? Yeah. It's people know each other. Like, you have to take people's word in those situations. Like, better safe than sorry, dude. Unfortunately, you're speaking to the choir. You're preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Well, you know, the only reason why it changes after 10 days is because the Pope does something he never does which he makes a public address like goes out he has like the little balcony outside the papal residence you know that's just big enough for him to stand on basically opens the window and he's and he makes this public address and he says quote i want to express my heartfelt unity with the orlandi family which has been devastated by the disappearance of their 15 year old daughter emmanuela 
who since Wednesday, June 22nd, has not returned home. I share the anxiety and angst of her parents, but hold on to the hope that the human spirit remains somewhere in the hearts of those responsible. Which kind of blows the family away. Like, yeah, not just that he made the address, but that he implies in the message that she's been kidnapped. Right, that there's someone that he, else in... Yeah. yeah. Which has not been acknowledged by anybody at that at that point. Like, yeah, I mean, to be a parent and also hear that, then uh-huh. you know that's like your worst possible scenario. Absolutely, that you're trying not to think about, but then someone like that goes and you know creates this bigger thing out of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And that just says help. it like it's a. He just says it like it's a known fact, right? You know what I mean? Which the police hadn't said anything to the family at all, let alone talk to them about the possibility of it being a kidnapping. I mean, if it's been 10 days at this point, you know, I think you can pretty much assume the worst. Yeah, I mean, for sure. But I think a lot a lot of the family was still thinking, like, maybe there was an accident. Right. Maybe, like... yeah she or maybe she ran off with a boy or you know what i mean like lots of things that might lead to a teenage girl disappearing for days yeah you know what i mean so it was it was shocking to hear the pope just like since we know she's been kidnapped like jesus do we um and the public address makes the basically causes the case to go viral Mm. like everyone everyone freaks out about it and i guess from everything I read and listened to, like most people agree that the message seemed to be like the Pope doesn't speak frivolously, right? So the people assume that the message was meant for someone specific. Yeah, like he was speaking to someone right. directly. Kind of like he knew something that. Yeah, yeah. In response to the public address, a traffic cop comes forward with a tip, like the first first tip. He says that Emanuela while accompanied with a man in his mid-30s, stopped him and asked asked for information about the Borromini Room, which is like, it's like a, one of the open touristy spaces in the city. Um, okay. And he sits down with police and he does a sketch. They do like a composite sketch of the guy she was with. And the cops were, at this point are pretty much convinced, well, this is the kidnapper, right? Um... Then, June 5th, 1983, a phone call comes in to the to the family. The father answers. The guy says, I only have a few moments. This is from your daughter. And he plays a message where she confirms her identity. Then he says, Mr. Orlandi, you like what you, you like what you heard? And the father says, all right, man, make a proposition. What's the deal? The yeah. kidnapper says, listen... Vatican officials will not fail to contact you. And the dad says, is the girl all right? The kidnapper says, don't worry, I can't continue to talk right now. The dad says, hurry it up or my wife and I will die. And the kidnapper says, good day to you and hangs up the phone. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Like the, the kidnapper, I feel like the kidnapper just, or the guy who calls, he has this, like, I feel like he's just reading off a script, like a list of things he wanted to to get across, you know? Yeah. And the dad is just like, tell me what's going on. Tell, like, what is happening? 
Like it feels like you're reading trans two side like sides of two different phone calls. Yeah. Like yeah. They never like respond to each other directly. They're both just saying well, what mean, they want to say. You know, the dad is he's gonna be impatient at that point. He doesn't want to hear all that bullshit. He just wants to know, like, is she safe? Like what's going on? You know, how can yep. we correct this basically? What do you want? Yeah. Exactly. Um uh, during the same afternoon, later the family finds out that during the same afternoon, the same guy, assu- uh, assuming it's the same guy, um, placed a call to the Vatican press room. And he says, we have Emanuela Orlandi. We will free her only when Mamet Aliaga is freed. So this is the beginning of why people think it's connected to the assassination mm. attempt. That makes that makes sense. Like, okay. Yeah. So the guy was serving a life sentence for the assassination attempt. Yeah. Obviously, they don't fuck around. You can't shoot it. You can't shoot the pope in Rome and and not get a life sentence, right? I mean, um it's pretty much like the highest possible crime. Yeah. Of course. In Rome. I mean, they're so small, so, there's not a whole lot of them. Exactly. Um they um they gave 14 days to secure the release. They said if you you have 2 weeks, if he's not free, we'll kill her. Right. Basically. Um, And they also said that a trash can in a public park had proof that they had her. So the police go to the, to the spot and they find photocopies of her music school ID, a receipt that she had signed and a note in her handwriting. Hmm. So they basically assume it's like the contents of her pockets. Right. When she was snatched. Right. Um, Then nothing, pretty much nothing happens. Like they're not going to release him. Yeah. For sure. There's no way that's going to happen. Um, then we go up to July 17th. Three days before the deadline, the Pope addresses the kidnappers publicly again. Second address in just a couple months, which is, again, very strange. Um, he basically just says that they're doing everything they can. Like like I said before, it's a big deal because he doesn't really address public issues like that. Well, yeah. But he's being seen as being very involved at this point. I mean, that's that's how it comes across. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially he's talking directly to them at this point. Yeah, which is weird. It's very strange. Yeah, that is weird. And there's this strange overlap in the Vatican because you have Roman police and then you have the sort of police that work for the Vatican, for the Holy See, which is the government of the of the Vatican City. Right. Right. They have their own police force. So there's all this like jurisdictional arguing and things going back and forth. Like, will they share information? Won't they? Like, who handles things here versus there mm-hmm. and all that shit, which slows everything down. Um, the next day, two days to deadline, an audio recording is dropped off at a public building and it's later given to the family um, of a woman being tortured. Okay. So July 18. Two days until until the deadline. Right. An audio recording is dropped off in, at some public building. And the police have it for a while. And then eventually it gets back to the family. Right. And it's a tape of a woman being tortured. Okay. Which is... I didn't want to listen to it. But I did. And honestly, I didn't find it that convincing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Kind of like, sound like it's just uh, staged. Yeah. Yeah, it it sounds sort of staged for sure. It's and it's obviously been edited because she's responding to someone 
talking, but the second speaker's parts are missing. Like, it's it's weird. It's a weird tape. Huh. Um, but then I found out that the brother later got a hold of a confidential file, like years and years later. Mm-hmm. He gets a hold of this confidential file that had the original transcript to the tape. Oh, really? Like and both he found sides? out that yes. So he found out that the fucking Vatican Secret Service was they were the ones who edited the tape before the family got it. Hmm. How strange is like that? Like trying to keep them from either recognizing maybe the person I, on the maybe. other end or Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean, that's that's really shady. I'm, yes. It's incredibly sketchy. Inside Isn't job. that we- yeah? Another check mark. Yeah, it's weird. It's very I mean, that, weird. That that's like one of the most convincing things so far. Yeah, that when I when I heard that it was like that's like a fucking bombshell. Yeah, no doubt. Like that's direct collusion Jeez. between the Vatican Secret Service and because hiding that uh, the identity of the person talking to her that's that could only benefit the person talking to her, right? You know. Like, yeah, unless it is someone on the inside, someone that would have been recognizable uh-huh, to the family, right, or to anyone else that may hear it as well. Yeah. So, so I mean, why would the Secret Service be be interested in protecting the anonymity of a kidnapper? Exactly. Like, yeah, if it wasn't someone that they didn't want people yep. to know who it was, that felt like a like that verges on smoking gun territory yeah. to me. Oh yeah. Like that's Agreed. so clearly collusion. It's yeah. It's weird. The same day the kidnappers demand a direct phone line to the Vatican. Instead of dealing with the police, they want to talk straight to the Vatican. Yep. Um and they gave in. They set up the line. Hmm. Weird. Hmm. Um they place a call. The quote unquote kidnappers right. place a call. And they request to speak to the Vatican Secretary of State. Okay. Um, so there's this recording, and I listened to it. There's a recording of them calling, giving the special code that they were supposed to give to, you know, to say that it's them. And they request the Secretary of State. It even includes the switchboard operator at the office telling the Secretary of State, like, hey, it's them. They're calling. Right? And then it cuts off. The Vatican refuses to release the rest of the call. Why? Why? Great question. Yeah. See, it's a weird thing because the amount of power that the Vatican has in this place, it's like being a two-year-old and they're your parents. They can just say things and you don't get to ask why. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... (sighs) It's just the way it works there. Like, they won't be questioned. They Clearly. just won't be. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. There's a time period because the dad continues to work for the Pope for until, I think, 2004, the dad dies. And wow. <clears throat> he worked for the Pope the entire time. Yeah. That same position. And... Aside from a visit on Christmas Eve, the one that I talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. the Pope just never brings up his daughter. Never. And it would be, the way his dad talked, it would be seen as disrespectful for him to, like, grill the Pope about it. To ask, like, 
is there any new information about it's like disrespect to question him to ask him questions at i mean all. as a parent though i think i i think i could see myself being like yeah well you know who cares if it's disrespectful yeah I mean, that's your child right you would think right but i mean you gotta understand know. these I mean, people are like god then family right and the pope yeah. is he's right there you know what i mean like it's a weird thing about Catholicism, but, like, the Pope is not seen as a person. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's, he's more. He's more than a person. <laughs> he's, like, as close as we get in modern times to, like, a god king. You know what I mean? Must be like, nice. It's, <laughs> I bet it sucks, honestly. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I bet it's a fucking shitty job. But why not? Not to mention, why not be called God King instead of Pope? Yeah, I like that way better yeah. personally. Um, imagine all the neck problems you have wearing that fucking giant stupid hat. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know, you'd have to offer me a pretty lavish lifestyle to be like you have to be an asshole to everybody that you meet, and also you have to dress like a wizard for the rest of your life. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. You're a wizard. It would take GP. a lot. <laughs> i love jp <laughs> oh man so yeah essentially um after the call right this is where it gets even more fucky all right because after the call the secretary of the secretary of state asks the police to take a step back from the investigation just like let us handle it and they do and the vatican just takes over the investigation after this why wouldn't they yeah why wouldn't they? Um, then July 20th, the day of the ultimatum, it just comes and goes pretty uneventfully. Like, they didn't release the guy, and then the supposed kidnappers just stopped calling. So something had to have happened. You would think, right? So, huh. I mean, you have to assume something happened on that phone call. Right. If If you're thinking at all that it isn't just, like, the Vatican talking to itself. I mean, you know what I mean? Like... See that? Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why that that line was finally established and why all yeah. the audio's been scraped from everything and yep. Man, it uh So, if you think that isn't the case, even if you think this was an outside force, you have to think something happened on that phone call that they won't let you hear. Yeah. That because the the day comes and goes. And the kidnappers aren't like, well, you fucked it. She's dead now. Mm-hmm. They, they, there's never anything like that. They just never call. At again. that point, it's just like over. Yeah. They just stop talking about it. Then we go all the way to September of 1983. The father, like, who hasn't spoken publicly at all, he <clears throat> breaks his silence and makes like a public plea to yeah. the kidnappers. Okay. So this is months later. It basically just says like, Look, if she's alive, prove it. If she's dead, tell us and tell us where to find her so we can grieve properly. Yeah. Right? Like, he's very cut and dry. It is a little emotional watching it. Like, you can tell he's a little misty when he's doing I mean, it. I don't think. As you'd expect. Yeah, of course. But, like, he's very matter of fact. Like, just tell us what the fuck is happening. You know what I mean? I mean, I, like, I get that. That's all he wants. I respect that yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Unfortunately, there's no response. The kidnappers don't respond in any way. 
Then we go all the way to Christmas Eve. Yeah. And this is the Pope's visit, right? The Pope just shows up at their house, which is crazy. It's it's weird. Especially this whole time period, like I said, the Pope just hasn't brought her up to the to the dad. They Even work together he's every made day. A couple public announcements. Yeah. Yep. That's weird. I mean, the dad probably scheduled those public announcements. Yeah. Honestly. Huh. Like, yeah. But he he hasn't spoken to him or his family directly about that at all. Right. He just doesn't bring it up. Which has to be so fucking awkward. Yeah, I would think so. It's so odd. It'd be that constant you would think like, at least, elephant in the room of like... Yeah. You would think at least the day after the... The day after one of the addresses or something, you'd come into work and be like, thank you. Yeah. For making, you know what I mean? Like, or JP and then the Pope's like, just I'm like, sorry to hear about your daughter. Right. Something like some least. comforting words. Right. Some like, we're doing all we can or something, but he never talks to him privately about it. This is, it's strange. It's very strange. Maybe I'm just like ignorant to the, the way their like interactions were, you know, maybe Maybe it was kept very professional between the two of them at all times. Yeah, I'm sure you know what I mean? Was. Like, yeah, yeah. But even then, you know, you you think you would break that under these circumstances? Yeah, I I I would think so. But you know, yeah, that's apparently not how you do things there, and that's a yeah, like a well known I mean, well known fact, right? Yeah. Um. But that night, he finally speaks to them about it. And what he says is even more strange. Okay? It's even more strange. He says, There are two types of terrorism, national and international. Your loss was caused by international terrorism. And I will do everything in my power to bring Emanuela home. So he knows something. You would think, right? I mean, he clearly... He knows. He knows that it's international terrorism, apparently. Yeah, this guy's not letting on to whatever he, you know, whatever yeah. he knew. There's something there. That's what's frustrating about it is like, obviously the 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 family probably found this comforting in a way to know that the Vatican or people were still working on it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like because it, yeah. this is months in now and no one's really it feels stagnant to the family. I mean, no I'm one's sure. re- no updates or anything. Especially since the Vatican took over, they just don't talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's just more mystery. You know what I mean? Like, how do you know it's... And that's the thing. It's disrespectful to ask questions, yeah. to question I mean, the Pope. So they can't demand follow-up <sighs> information. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't be it. like, how do you know it's international? Just... What do you mean? Yeah. None of that. I don't I don't, I don't think I could just, just bite my tongue and not ask questions. Yeah. Same same but i you know wasn't raised in vatican city see that's, either, that's so. true and i yeah. keep i keep trying to look at it that way like yeah that's you know maybe not but this is the way that it is you know? yeah yeah social norms are enforced like law there basically right. like that's the big difference between here and there i think yeah, just so weird and then another weird thing happens that night while he's there so he offers a job to pietro the older brother who's 23 at this point and he offers him a job at the Vatican bank, even though Pietro has no experience doing the job that he offered none. So 
I kind of get the feeling that like the whole point of the visit was just to like placate the family to yeah. like to shut them up basically I'm sure yeah like you know just do something that they can do you know even out of the or- out of the ordinary out of the norm whatever yeah. but just something so they think like they're either maybe still taking steps to you know resolve the issue or try and locate her or whatever yeah. but yeah mainly to shut the yeah, family just up just so that they think something's being done right. so that they have them some alone. some type of like hope at yeah. that point so pietro goes to work at the bank um and the case basically officially goes cold they don't i mean 20 years pass without a single new lead that's crazy like yeah no contact from from the vatican about it nothing 20 years like the family is particularly the dad he's super dedicated to his faith and the church and right of course everything he does right but the son the son mentioned that like there definitely was like a loss of faith that went on when his dad is on his deathbed in 2004 he had some of the most intense last words i've ever heard like what he says to pietro before he dies is i have been betrayed by those i served faithfully that was his final words yeah i i would probably agree with that yeah it's at the very least they didn't take care of them mm-hmm. you know what i mean like if this was some random tragedy that was never managed to be solved they still basically treated them like shit for 20 years yeah and i feel again it just feels like there was some involvement that they were trying to cover up this whole time yeah you ready to hear about it? Yeah. Yeah, let's hear about <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah, here we go. So in um in two thousand five, Pope, you know, JP two. JP two. He dies. Aww. He died in two thousand five when we were seniors in high school. Rip JP two. Um that's right. Rip to JP two. Um that's a t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um so any hope of getting whatever information that he had about the disappearance essentially died, died with, with him. him. Like, yeah, he specifically said in his final wishes, which you can find online, his like last wishes that all of his personal notes should be burned. That's what he requested, which is like, what, what is so is, damn secret? Like what could be so secretive? That's a great question. It is a great question. It's I'm guessing a lot. I'm guessing a lot. It's, there's like, so real quick, we're going to follow two separate threads. Okay. So we'll come back. Okay. About his personal notes. So he spends, Pietro spends 10 years, 10 years requesting access to the archives. Okay. John Paul II's archives. Um, and he's finally granted access after a decade because he, he hears through a random interview that the guy they put in charge of, of executing his, the Pope's last wishes decided that his personal notes, that they were too important and couldn't be burned. Okay. Yeah. So he requests access to the archives for 10 years, finally gets granted it. He spends three days in the archives digging around and he finds nothing like literally nothing personal at all. And he, after three days, the guy is like the guy who runs the archives is like what is it that you're looking for and he talk he tells him about it 
And he's like, oh, his personal notes aren't here. Like, they're just a complete miscommunication. Because other people he had spoken to had said that they were. Right. You know what I mean? So he wastes three days looking. Jeez. Only to find that the that guy who executed the final wishes, he was appointed Archbishop of Krakow in Poland. And took all those personal notes with him. Okay. Right. So then the brother goes on this campaign trying to get a hold of this guy, this archbishop, Mm -hmm. right? And just gets stonewalled. Like he calls him over the course of weeks. He sends him a bunch of emails and he just never hears anything from him. No return calls, no replies. It's, um, so he basically gets dead ended on the personal notes. Sorry. No, you're good. No worries. Gotta go back. God, this is a lot. Okay. So now we're gonna go back in time to... We're gonna go back, sorry, to September of the year that the Pope dies. Okay. In 05. Yeah. That's where we are. Okay. I just... I wanted to get out of the way that, like, the notes, the personal notes never really produced anything. Yeah. Because they might, we just can't ever see them. So, um, on September 12th, 2005, a tip comes into a news station. The dude who calls, he says, if you want to know what happened to her, go see who is buried in the crypt at the Basilica de San Ap... Something. A Basilica. Close enough. (laughs) I'm going to call it that. Um, (laughs) I'm generally pretty good with Italian pronunciations, but this one is very strange. It's like... Apollinare, something like that. Apollinare, San Apollinare. I think that's it. Anyway, we'll we'll go um, He said, and he says that it was the what they'll find is the result of a favor done for a bishop. Okay, the news channel does some digging figuratively and finds out that it's a gangster, um, Enrico Enrico de Pettis. Okay, he was the leader of the Magliana gang. In Rome, like a straight up gangster. So, and this is very strange. You have this like common thug who was gunned down in the streets in the 90s. And for some reason, he's given this incredibly lavish burial in like a super prestigious crypt. Like, literally, only princes and like revered artists are buried there. Hmm. Like, so he had something else going on. Right. He was the first person to be buried there in over a century. Wow. Yeah. So, obviously, um, Pietro requests that the tomb be exhumed so that they can look for clues of a connection. Right. Right. And they ignore his request. Well, as course. I'm sure, yeah. Because <laughs> that's their jam. Um, but, like, this burial thing matters because it isn't normal. Like, in order to be buried in a place like this, you have to go through this huge, long process where you have to prove the person did all these good deeds in their life. Right. You have to like, be a big deal. Yeah. And specifically deeds in service of Rome. That's what you have to prove to be Which buried here. This mobster, this whatever guy, clearly did not. Yeah. You would think. Right? You would think, yeah. True. I mean, the real the real question is like what kind of favor do you have to do that's, with what high level that's true figure? Too. Yeah. Yeah. To secure this kind of barrier. You could have done the right thing for just the right person. Right. Ah. All right. Like it's it's pretty pretty shady. Inside job. 
Another check. <laughs> um, so in response the to being ignored about burying it, he basically the brother basically goes on a press tour. He starts like doing interviews on TV shows and newspapers and all this shit. And there's a huge public outcry for what's happening, right? For by the way, the news channel that did the that received the tip and figured out who was in the tomb. They didn't report who it was for like seven months. Why? That's a great question. They didn't report who it was until after the brother was out talking about it in public. Huh. So I'm thinking the Vatican was like, hey, let's not talk Kinda about Kind of intercepted this. him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so there's this huge public outcry and the Vatican literally couldn't give a single fuck. Like, no response as usual. At one point, there is a march of, like, thousands of people in Vatican City, and they just pretend it didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, they can They can do that, though. Yeah. Which is... It's bizarre. Yeah, it's insane. And it seems, like, so out there. Yeah. But... It's... Dude, researching this, like, I felt like I was... I felt like I was writing a story from, like, Game of Thrones. Like honestly i mean it just, it's like it feels like a fantasy world it makes it makes so much sense why there are so many conspiracy theories yeah around the vatican because there's so much silence yeah you know what i mean everything's so locked down there's literally no transparency at all it's yeah it's very it strange just makes so much sense yeah and um in april of 2006 the next year he um nope cut that <laughs> sorry okay um <clears throat> so in june of 2008 he pietro he gets a call from a journalist because obviously he's been out in the public talking about how he's still trying to figure out this dude her brother really missed his calling as an investigative journalist seriously it sounds like, like it sounds like that's what it, that's yeah. what he was supposed to do he's very good he is very good i like, mean if you some of the shit he Sorry, I was, go I was gonna say if you have reason, like a drive, like a purpose, yeah, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna bust your ass to uncover everything you can. And those are always the best investigative journalists, right? The people who like get super passionate about what yeah. they're investigating, oh, yeah, sure. and like, yeah, they always dig up the the dirt. Um, so this journalist calls him, and she's been given this crazy story, right? Like pretty wild this famous actress italian actress her name's sabrina minardi um she was in the 80s briefly married to enrico de pettis the the criminal right the gang leader who was married right. in the basilica um and she called in and spoke directly to this reporter and she says that on june 28th 1983 which was the day that emanuela disappeared Okay. She said yeah. that DePettis asked her to pick up a girl and deliver her to a location. And she did. She said that she was driving a black Mercedes with Vatican plates. Um, and the girl was, quote, a little bit crying, a little bit laughing. She seemed drugged and was asking for her brother. Um, she pulled up, met another car, two men in clerical dress, took the girl from the car and um the police okay so the when she talks to the police they um 
she she tells them that the root of the kidnapping had to do with some relationship between a group within the church and the Magliana gang. Like, mostly there was this big connection between DePettis and Monsignor Marcinkus, who was the head of the Vatican Bank, right? Which, oddly enough, was Pietro's boss for like 24 years. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's where... That's so. There's this like direct connection that's that gets established between the head of the bank and Depetis. So that person definitely high up enough that if you did him the right favors, could probably get you buried in the basilica. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't think it's a coincidence that they offer the job to Pietro, who's like the most outspoken member of the family at a place where they can keep an eye on it. I was going to say, you know because, I mean? and it seems like, I guess maybe I don't know, but did he ever apply for the job? Did he ever no. show interest? Or was he just no. like, we'll offer you a job? Yeah, that's what it See, was. Yeah, there's, I mean, that that's that's exactly what it had to have been. Yeah, there, so they can keep strange. an eye on him. And, mm-hmm. But yep. it makes you wonder, like, what is the tar, like, what's the reasoning for the targeting this family? Right. That's yeah. That's the that's the big question, right? Um, there was more weird shit about Marcinkus too. Like he always took a special interest in the family. So, on a regular basis, the parents would go and pray in Vatican Garden, right? Which is just full of clergy all the time. Okay, right? And the brother talked about how anytime they would go there, all the archbishops would like visibly avoid them, and not, you know, to avoid talking about sort of like. When you have an acquaintance who's gone through something and you're like, I know if I go say hi, we're going to end up talking about like, right, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. But that's the feeling he got. But Marcinkus always made a point to come right over to them and like chat with them every time. Right. Like, and that was seen as a special interest that he took Mm. a special interest in them. That's how the family felt at least. Okay. Um, so right after this happens in 08, At the beginning of 09, the Vatican Bank pushes Pietro into early retirement, like makes him get out. As soon as he discovers this link between the mafia, basically, and the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Then, like, shit's about to blow open, right? So, May 14th, 2012, after seven years of requests, they finally agree to exhume DePettis' tomb. Okay. Okay. With all the news coverage over it, Pietro realizes that the composite drawing that the patrolman made way back when it first happened looks fucking exactly like Matthews. Okay. Yes. It look I mean, it's it's creepy to see like the picture side by it's a perfect drawing of him. Mm. Um That shit's so weird. Yeah. I- it's yeah. It's crazy. So no clues about the disappearance are found in the tomb, but it became public knowledge, at least like that, at least in points in the past, that the Vatican had a working relationship with the Italian mafia. Right. Like, that's what this does. It's what it accomplishes is like people realize there's a connection. And it basically led investigative journalists all over the country to go for the church, like, to like really start digging into shit. Mm-hmm. And they find out that massive sums of money were laundered by the Vatican Bank in the 80s and it all vanished 
at one point. Wow. All this money vanishes. And at this point... <clears throat> almost died. Oh, you're good. <clears throat> at this point, the family becomes convinced that the whole thing about freeing the guy who killed, who tried to kill the Pope that happened, all the phone calls, all that shit, was completely fabricated by the Vatican to throw the public off the trail of all this money. I mean, yeah, that's connection out, with the mafia, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Like they, I mean, you basically have two groups of people. You have the church who's obsessed with managing their public appearance, right? And then you have them connected to the mafia who literally makes a living killing people for money. So like you put those two things together, right? Like, so the, the idea is that the Magliana gang puts all this money in the Vatican bank to launder it right at some point they want the money back but the money disappears okay all right the gang so the gang kidnaps emanuela like the daughter of a connected man and ransoms her to the church in order to get their money back that's the general concept um but there are some serious questions associated with that so like why would the vatican take all the dirty money outside of proper channels instead of just flagging it as laundering and doing it officially right instead they pull it all out quietly and just let it vanish and like what could the vatican need that only secret dirty money could buy right that's a good question yeah yeah it's huge questions so in search of answers for those questions the brother again missing his calling as an investigative journalist, he digs up a letter from Roberto Calvi, who was the bank manager to the Pope back in June of 82. Okay. One year before, the year before the disappearance. Right. right. The manager warns that an exposure of the fact that the Vatican used dirty money to finance a rising liberal Polish trade union is coming. So it's a warning that like, hey, you know when we stole all that money and we put it into this this liberal trade union in Poland to support them yeah like someone's about to expose that right that's that's what the letter says and that's like and, full admission everything right there yeah so the thing is this union which was called solidarity it was like the only liberal union in the Eastern Bloc countries this is during the Soviet Union right and there was this like just this little liberal union trying to like uprise. Mm-hmm. in Poland, right? It was a big deal because the Vatican was aligned with the West, obviously, and they were trying to... We, everybody was trying to fight communism. Well, of course, right? yeah. Um, but the guy in this <clears throat> the guy in this letter, he pleads with the Pope to intervene and make sure that it doesn't come out. Like, he's... Again, he's like a true blue believer, all that dedicated to the church and all that and right. he just doesn't want like the black mark of how they used of that they well, no, used this that's gonna, money that's gonna turn to come around out. And, make, and look bad you know yeah on exactly. the church everybody even though honestly what they used the money for makes sense right they were like using the money to prop up these to fight communism basically yeah like so the problem is like they went through back channels to do it and they all this shit happened with Emanuela obviously that like makes it really dirty right yeah um 12 days later 
after that dude sent that letter, they found his dead body floating in the Thames River in London. Not surprised. Yeah. He had been strangled with a rope, and then that same rope was used to tie him to a support girder under a bridge. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, like, basically, if you can believe the letter... The Pope was using mafia money to fight communism. And this was JP too? Yeah. <sighs> but. I know, right? I said I had such high faith in JP too. I know. I don't know what happened. I know. You let me down, boy. You let me down. Yeah. The final update came in uh, April of 2016. So there was a negotiation. The brother got wind of a negotiation between the Vatican State and the Italian police that had happened back around the time they exhumed DePettis. Okay. Right? Um, so, basically, there's there's this negotiation, and the police want the Vatican to release the dossier on Emanuela, all the information that they've gathered about it while they were handling the investigation. And the Vatican wanted the police to quietly move the body of DePettis out of the basilica to go bury him somewhere else. Right, which explains why they finally agreed to exhume the tomb that year. Yeah, it was there. It was basically them holding up their end of the deal. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> it was, but they didn't plan on it getting media coverage. They wanted to do it quietly. Yeah, of course. But because of the stuff the brother was doing and all that, it got it ended up getting a bunch of media. But the problem is. The um, police held up their end of the bargain, right? They moved to Pettis. But the Vatican still has never released the dossier of information on Emanuela. And that was back in 2016? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And nothing has happened since. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope that uh, that information comes out because, like, man, just the amount of just insane i know right? all that is it's just crazy yeah it was like this this one was it was the deepest research i've had to do i mean it or because completely it's such a mess way more than i thought there was to this um yeah <laughs> just, I, mean, <laughs> I mean it's it's massive like there yeah like yeah. i i'm i'm stuck on it it was clearly an inside job yeah i think so too like i think I think the I think the that um collaboration I think it was a collaborative effort between the you know whatever small sect of the Vatican was set to deal with this gang and the gang. Right, of course. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm almost certain that that's also what makes sense why they've removed they had removed the audio and stuff from you know that yep. uh from the video, why? Yep. Why the call? And the phone call, exactly. The yeah. call, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know when we first talked about this, and and jokingly, I mean, I I, I had said something along the lines of, you know, this is the '80s. She was a 15 year old girl. She probably just wanted out. Yeah. Maybe fleeing the Vatican was her best uh, her best way to do it. Right. But I, with all like with all of this shit, yeah, man, I'm I'm 100 percent on board. Yeah. Like. I- yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I actually, I really want to watch that that doc now and just to yeah, yeah just to see that as well. It's, it's really good. It's just it's 
it's almost so much that it's just completely unbelievable. Yeah. Right? Like, you wouldn't think, like, yeah. something like this, especially out of the Vatican, this weird yep. kind of deal, whatever they had going on with the Italian, this Italian mafia, whatever. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think that, that that's real. But, like, this shit I happens. Know. Yeah, absolutely. And It feels like a fucking Dan Brown novel. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was I was waiting for the Holy Grail to pop up, but right, you know, alas. Uh, but still, yeah, like it is like it's a Robert Langdon story. It is, yes, absolutely. It like it's one of the most tangled stories I've like had to dig through. Right, it's there's so much. It's and I I didn't. I didn't know if it would be better to just literally go day by day. Yeah. You know, like chronologically. But there were a couple pieces I think fell outside because there while the brother was doing all this work, like he was getting updated on multiple fronts that you know, the alternated went back and forth. He had like several threads going like will the personal notes give anything? Can I get the tomb exhumed? Mm-hmm. Like he had like a bunch of different shit going on at once. Yeah for sure um i mean yeah this this dude deserves answers <laughs> yeah for how, how much <laughs> he invested he into it and for yeah. how like well he like d- dove into this this case yeah and i mean better than obviously any other investigator said yep. you know like yeah he, he deserves something at this point so hopefully something comes to light of like Maybe at some point, and they're like, "Yeah, this is it," and this is this is you know they acknowledge like this is what happened, but I don't I don't know yeah. again how would that look on how would that look on them because it's gonna it's gonna be like this big negative thing, right? So yeah. I don't I doubt it'll ever I doubt it'll ever come to light, but I mean, <clears throat> unless the thing, like, they're able to shape it into like you know change the whole direction of right. it. The current Pope Pope Francis is considered like the cool liberal pope right you know he's like opened up the church like which he has done some good things like the church now accepts lgbt people the church you know what i mean like he has modernized the church in a lot of significant ways yeah yeah but like let's get some answers frankie yeah like get the shit out there you know what i mean like the people yeah maybe in the 80s right yeah Maybe in the 80s they were doing some shady shit, but unless you're still doing shady shit, you shouldn't be worried about exposing the things that happened back in the 80s. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, come out like, of that and be like, we're doing better. Yeah, exactly. This is a it's new... easy to do. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, that, like, shit like that will reinforce, you know, and allow people to be like, oh, you know, they actually do, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Frankie P, let's come out with it. Right. It's the problem is it's not just one person, right? It's any just like any time to a lesser extent when we say elect a liberal president. Right. Like he doesn't get to just make everything liberal tomorrow. Oh well, yeah. Of you course. know what I mean? Like there's a whole ingrained institutions and systems that he has to like fight through to yeah. to to make things yeah, like it's that. It's always happen. gonna be a so, thing, for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's always going to be a process, just, but still. I just hope, like, real definitive answers come out. I mean, that letter that the brother found about the money given to 
the um was that ever like actually acknowledged i mean no nothing is ever acknowledged okay. by the vatican but it's like it was conf- the brother considered it authentic right like it, where it came from to the best of, he found to the it best in of like, his ability and his knowledge right? yeah okay yep he he considered it authentic if that's the case then that's that's a pretty solid fucking oh yeah you know that at least confirms that the Vatican basically stole this laundered money from this gang, which could easily have led to them kidnapping the girl and mm-hmm. saying like, "Give us our fucking money," or you know, or else. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I feel like that's what happened. I mean. Honestly, I, yeah, I I have to agree. I think she I, just got stuck between the two gears of power you know 260 some dollars to hand out avon pamphlets people (laughs) know that that is never going to happen right (laughs) yeah what what is i don't even think there's anything comparable to avon is avon still a thing i i think they just went bankrupt last year okay well good i think not good for them but you know like good yeah yeah what do they call them like l mlms something like that it's I, I don't even like know, the, man. it's the like the people that board would... unemployed people pyramid schemes. Right. It's like if you're selling Sensi or selling fucking what are some other Mary ones? Kay. Um, Mary Kay. Mary Kay was a big ones, one for a long yeah. time. Um, those bags. What are thirty one? Thirty one bags. Oh yeah, I forgot about those. Yeah. yeah, those were those were big too. Yeah, all that yeah. shit. Yeah. No one's going to pay you $300 to pass out pamphlets for them. No. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Because guess what? If you're selling Avon, you don't have $300 to give. I mean, or, you know, it might be just some housewife. She's looking for some extra pocket money. Yeah. Or house husband, houseman, like anybody. Sure. A houseman. <laughs> We're all inclusive here. I'm, I'm right. not just saying, like, you know, ju- not just housewife, yeah. whatever. That is, that is the stereotype, right, though, for those things is yeah. the, like, in the 60s and 70s, especially, like, housewives were selling Tupperware was yeah. a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how all that stuff, at least Tupperware went legit eventually. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Except <laughs> now. Became an actual store brand. Black Friday at Walmart, you can go and buy, like, a a thousand pack of Tupperware for, like, seven <laughs> bucks. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, I mean, which is ridiculous, but still, uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I have to agree. I think I think honestly, she wrong place, right time for them. Sure. Um, but just use your head, man. Like yeah. I, I'm again young, naive. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Like that's it's going to be enticing, you know, to do yeah. very little, right? But yeah. like, come on, people, think about these things. Like, yeah. And honestly, this is the Italian mafia. If she wouldn't have gone for that, they could have just snatched they her right out of her anyways. backyard. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? yeah. yeah. It just made it easier for them. Yep. That's yeah. It's a super sad story. I mean, who knows what happened to her? Yeah. Right. It's there's really no way to know. Yeah. But for sure. You have to imagine forty years later that like nothing good happened to her. I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, oh man. I, I have to think that after that day, that day, whatever happened during that phone call, whatever happened to her probably happened to her. Or yeah, before right that. Right then. Yep. Yep. 
Probably. So, because like either that dude, the Secretary of State, got on the phone call and he was like, "Okay, okay, we'll we'll pay you some money. Give us the girl." And yeah. then they fucking took care of her themselves mm-hmm. so that, you know, to keep the story a secret or the secretary of state said, fuck off. We're the Vatican. You're not extorting us for anything. Do whatever you want right. with her. You know what I mean? One of the two happened. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Yeah. It's just, I mean, shitty situation and crazy ass story though. Like, not yeah. at not at all what I expected. I mean, I I knew obviously we're talking about the Vatican, so there's yeah. going to be some craziness and some just weird shit. But yeah, dude, hats awesome. off to the brother again. Yeah, so much of this sure. came out because of the work he did. So yeah, it would be a much more vague, much less compelling story if he hadn't done the work he did. Right. So yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it though. Yeah, same, same. This is a good one. And that concludes episode 111, The Vanishing of Emanuela Orlandi. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you. So please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.